Well, today we, we conclude this series. We're in chapter 4 of the book of Jonah between Obadiah and Micah. They're in the Old Testament. Um, I'm excited about this, excited about th- this wrap-up today. Um, let, let me say this before I get started. You're going to be hearing more about this next week. Um, but I want to say thank you so much to everyone in this place who, helped, who prayed for us, who uh, financially gave to us, who supported our students over this past week. And we have been gone to camp, as many of you know, last Sunday. As soon as service was over, we loaded up and, and uh, we headed to Sparks, Oklahoma, uh, to our new, to our new uh, campground facilities there. Uh, it's just been in, in, in use for three or four years now, brand new, uh, really nice facilities. And we were able to take uh, 30-something students with us. Um, I don't have the, the, the exact count. I did a couple of days ago, but I've slept since then. So, uh, but, and I know we took five, five adults with us. And so we had in the mid-30s to uh, 37, 38, something like that. And so it was just a great, great time. Yeah, put your hands together for that. Deborah Seavers over here and Linnell back there and Christy and myself and Jenny. We all went, and, and the, the, what's the miracle is we're all back. We're all here. Yeah. And so, and we come back with every single student. We, uh, a couple we tried to leave, but they found us. And, uh, but no, nah, we had a great, great time. And uh, God did some amazing things in our students' lives. And again, we're putting together some things for next week uh, just to kind of, uh, uh, we, we, we want you to know what your investment meant to these students. And so uh, next week we recorded some of our students uh, just sharing their testimony about what God did for them at camp. And so next week we'll be uh, letting you in on all that. So you don't want to miss next week, all right? Look at your neighbor and say, be here. Be here next week, all right? So we're just going to take a few minutes next week and do that. But uh, again, we do want to say thank you so much for your prayers and for your support. Our kids had, had a great, great time. And we got muddy. How many saw the pictures on Facebook? We were muddy. We were a muddy mess. They had mud games. It was awesome. It was awesome. I felt at home. Um, now, right now, let's transition back into Jonah here. Speaking of muddy messes, we're going to transition into Jonah here. Jonah, um, we're in chapter 4 of his book. Uh, we've been going through this whole book verse by verse, breaking it down. And uh, we've learned so far Jonah was a prophet of God. We learned that God told Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh. I need you to tell them repent. Jonah says, God, sorry, not going to do it. Not going to happen today. Got too much on the schedule, and he runs the other way. He books it toward a place called Tarshish. Um, uh, God sends a storm. Jonah hops on a boat trying to get to Tarshish. God sends a storm. The Bible says God provided the storm. He sends the storm. The sailors, they're, they're on the storm. They're like, man, this is messed up. What's going on? Uh, they figure out it's Jonah. He's the one causing it. This is just a quick review. They find out Jonah's the reason the storms come upon him. Uh, they throw him overboard. He does a half gainer. He lands in the water. Uh, then along comes a big fish. Remember this? The big fish literally eats Jonah up, swallows him whole. Um, uh, Jonah's sitting there in the belly of this great fish for three days and three nights, and then he prays. Jonah was a stubborn man. If you're sitting beside someone like that, just... Uh, don't do anything, all right? 
three days and three nights, he's inside this belly of this great fish, and then he decides, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and pray. He does. He repents. He says, God, forgive me. I'm sorry. I'll stop running. I'll do whatever, whenever, wherever you want me. Uh, I will do it. I'll, I'll do it, God. The fish opens his mouth, vomits Jonah up on dry land. Jonah takes off toward the gates of Nineveh. He gets into Nineveh. What you have to understand, Nineveh is the cultural epicenter of the world at that time. Nineveh is like taking London, Hollywood, New York City, Chicago, putting them all together in one city and the influence of that city that would influence the whole world, that would be Nineveh. Nineveh was the cultural epicenter of that day. Um, he walks into Nineveh. He says, 40 more days, Nineveh will be overturned. We talked about that word overturned, how that meant either you will be changed or you will be destroyed. Okay, And so um, Nineveh falls to their knees. They repent. They say, God, forgive us of our sins. We talked a couple weeks ago about how that came about, how God is just awesome, and God worked everything, uh, all the signs of that time that they believed was, was happening because, so, you know, we, yeah, get the CD. It's good. Um, and so they fall to their knees. They, they ask God to forgive them. God forgives them of their sin. Can you imagine how Jonah is feeling right now. I mean, can you imagine, man, uh, if I'm Jonah, I'm falling to my knees. And I'm going, God, thank you. Thank you for using me. This is, this is crazy, God. Thank you. This is awesome. Can you imagine this sheer exhilaration and the sheer exhaustion that Jonah must be feeling and facing as this has taken place in 120,000. Now we learned that that's just the men, 120,000. So there, some scholars tell us there could have been up to between 1.5 and 2 million people in this area at this time. Can you imagine as, as this, how many know that's revival? <laughs> that's revival. And so Jonah, can you imagine how Jonah, we, we've got to get to it because there's got to be a party going on with Jonah, right? Jonah has got to be celebrating. There's got to be homemade ice cream. There's got to be. Let's go to chapter 4, verse 1. Jonah, tell us what's going on there, man. Let's see it right there. In the name, there it is. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. What? Then I... If you read another version, it says this. It says, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. <laughs> Wait a second, Jojo. Okay, not Jojo. Jonah. Jonah. <laughs> Wait a second, Jonah. Do you know what just happened here? Do you know what God just enabled you to do? Do you know what's really going? Come on, this is a big win for God. This is a big win for Jonah. This is, let's take the Gatorade and dump it on Jonah's head moment. Okay? That's what needs to be going on. If this happened today, Jonah would be booked at every mega church across the world. Jonah would be speaking at every pastor's conference, every leader's conference, magazines. He'd be on the front cover. People would be calling him. Mel Gibson would be calling him, wanting to do the Jonah, the movie series. It's good time for Jonah. Barbara Walters, she would want the exclusive Jonah interview. Time Magazine, they would vote him person of the year, not man of the year, because that's weird now. Right? <laughs> we don't know what we are anymore. Um, person of the year. That would be, come on, that's funny. That would be taking place. 
That's not how Jonah responded, though. He was angry. He was mad. He was upset. Matter if you dig into it a little deeper in the original language, you're going to see that word greatly displeased is the word, is the Hebrew word, or, or that word up there. Uh, Jonah seemed very wrong, very wrong. You take that word very wrong, you look it up. Um, it is the Hebrew word ra'ah, ra'ah, R-A-A-H, ra'ah, and it means evil. It's the word for evil. And then you look up that word angry, and it's hara, hara, H-A-R-A-H, and it means to burn with fire. So you read this text in its original language, and here's what it says. It says, basically, when Jonah looked back over the grace that God had shown the people in Nineveh, what he saw was evil, and he was so mad he burned with fire, which is just kind of interesting to me because just before that, God was the one who looked at Nineveh and saw evil and burned with fire. And now that they've repented, Jonah looks at Nineveh, sees evil, and burns with fire. Come on, this is messed up. Jonah needs to get on Dr. Phil and talk to him about it for a little bit, right? He needs to go sit on Oprah's couch and cry for a little while. Something's wrong here. Something's wrong here. Jonah's getting very emotional. Let's continue on. Let's see how he deals with this anger. Jonah chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. It says he prayed to the Lord. Now, this is interesting to me. And this is just kind of a side note here. If you look in the four chapters of Jonah, you'll see that Jonah prayed twice, two times. Once when he was inside the belly of the great fish, and once right now, once when he's mad. Once when he was in crisis, and once when he's mad. I got to thinking about this. Is this a reflection of my prayer life? Come on, let's be real. Is this a reflection of my prayer life? Is this a reflection of my relationship with God that the only time I really go and talk to him and pray is when I'm either in crisis or when I'm really, really upset about something? Is, is, is this a reflection of my prayer life? Do I pray when, only when tragedy strikes? Do I, do I pray when I'm hurting? Do I pray only when trials come my way? Is this the extent of my relationship with God? Because if it is, man, I'm missing out on so, so much. And I just want to encourage you, if, if, if that's anyone in here, and maybe that's the extent of your relationship with God, listen, you're missing out on so, so. He came to do more than just rescue you from your pain. He came to do so much more. He's come to give you life and to give you life. Come on, everybody. What? More abundantly. More abundantly. Don't settle for it. We have too many people, even too many people sitting in church houses week after week after week who have settled for a crisis-driven relationship with God. And that's not what he came for. He didn't come just, just so you could go to him in crisis. He wants to walk and talk with you daily. He longs for that relationship with you daily. He want, when you're up, he wants to know. When you're down, he wants to know. When you're good, he wants to know. When you're slow, he wants to know. Come on, bro. You know? He, he, want, he, he wants all of it. He wants that relationship with you. If the only time I went to Jenny was when I was in a crisis, hey, I need laundry, right? Someone help cook, Right? If the only time I went to her when I was in a crisis, the only time she came to me is when she was in a crisis. Hey, the oil lights, come on. What, what exactly does that mean? Come on. <laughs> if the only time we talked is crisis-driven moments, and we don't have much of a marriage. And I'm just going to say it. If the only time we talk to God is in crisis-driven moments, we don't have much of a relationship with him. It's, gotta, it's better than that. It's better than that. It's better than that. Everybody raise your right hand. Come on, raise it high, high, high. Say, I still love Jared. All right, amen. Put it down. (laughs) 
Just want to make sure. So Jonah, he's sitting there. He's angry. He's mad. He's prayed. He says, oh, Lord, is this not what I said uh, when I was still at home? Jonah's having one of these, like I told you so, moments with God. He said, that is why I was so quick to flee Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God. I knew that you were slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now I want you to feel the depth of Jonah's emotion, how passionate he is about his anger. He says, now, oh, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Wow. Lord, take away my life. For it's better for me to die than to live. Jonah's angry, in case I haven't told you that yet. He's angry. And he's angry that God forgave the Ninevites. And he can't deal with it. And if you really dive into the text, what you're going to see is that Jonah's saying, God, thank you for being patient with me. God, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for your grace for me. Thank you for your mercy for me. But God, Nineveh, really? No. Stop. They don't deserve it. We find Jonah living smack dab in the middle of a great contradiction in essence. And what Jonah is saying is this, God, thank you for forgiving me, but I will never forgive Nineveh. I will never forgive. God, thank you for forgiving me, but I will never forgive Nineveh. Jonah had been hurt. His family had been hurt. And we may have people in our service this morning that you've been hurt by someone around you. You've been hurt by someone who you thought was real close to you. You've been hurt by someone who you thought you all had a great relationship. And, 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 and now you're angry. And now you're harboring bitterness. And you've been hurt. And we're not here denying that hurt is real. It is real. We, we, we totally understand that. And you're, and you're, you're upset. There's some... Who may be sitting here this morning, you're like, man, this is a good weekend for me because I don't have any unforgiveness. I'm good. I'm clean. Woohoo. You ain't talking to me. Let's wrap this Jonah up and let's get on about our road. This is awesome. But maybe inside, maybe it's not unforgiveness, but maybe we're, we're dealing with something that's a little more vague and a little, and a little bit smaller. It's called resentment. And not dealt with, resentment in two years will become a house of unforgiveness. What do you mean by that? Maybe you're resentful because maybe your spouse spends a little too much money. Oh, come on. Come on. Come on. Jen, you listening? All right. Um, I'm just joking. (laughs) Maybe you're resentful because you feel like your spouse spends too much money. Come on. Throw some elbows right now. Let Let me see you. Maybe you're resentful because you don't feel like maybe he provides for your emotional needs. Come on, ladies, throw those elbows back right now. Maybe there's resentment right there. Maybe that guy, you know that guy? He never returned your George Strait CD back in 1992. (laughs) And now all your exes live in Texas. (laughs) Come on. Uh Throw them, throw them. Throw them. And you'll be in Amarillo by morning. Come on, I'm good. I'm good. I can go all day long. Comes the country music. I can go all day long, right? All right. I crossed my heart. Um, <laughs> maybe you're here and you're resentful at your boss. Think about that. 
Now, before we go any further, let me make clear, that is not me. I love my boss. <laughs> Amen. It's <laughs> Carolyn. Um, <laughs> no, no. She loves her boss, too. <laughs> Maybe you're resentful towards your boss. He passed you up for a promotion. Maybe you're resentful towards your kids. They just don't call anymore. They promised they would. They don't. Maybe you're resentful towards your parents because they just don't seem to care for you like you wish they would. Maybe you're resentful. There's a lot of things we could go about right now. But here's the thing. I wish this verse wasn't in there, but it is. It's in there. We have to forgive. We have to. Jared, I I can't. You have to. You have to. I don't feel like it. That's fine. You don't have to feel like it. When it comes to forgiveness, sometimes you got to faith it. You cannot fake it. You got to faith it. You faith it. God, I don't feel like forgiving that person. You know how that person hurt me, God? I don't feel like forgiving them. God said, hey, this bitterness, this unforgiveness, this resentment, it's not hurting them. You know what's crazy? They don't. They, they haven't lost a wink of sleep over it. You're the one that suffered. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. Exactly. You're the one that hurts. You're the one who lays in bed and wrestles with it at night. So forgiveness is not about excusing what the other person did. It's not about saying, "Hey, that was okay. That's all right. <laughs> Do it again." It's not about that. Forgiveness is about freeing up because this is the weekend of freedom, right? We're celebrating freedom tonight. Well, guess what? We're going to get an early start right here this morning because we're going to celebrate freedom because some of us, we're going to let this stuff go. We're going to say, you know what? I'm not going to let it hold me down anymore. I'm not going to let this, I'm not going to backtrack and let this grab me and hold me and tear me down. I'm not going to lose sleep over this anymore. I'm done with this. This is history. I forgive I don't feel it but by my mouth. I'm forgiving you and God, you'll bring the feeling when it's time to come. I forgive you, and you do that, and you release that. And when you release that, you're not excusing what they did, but you're not letting it control your life anymore. Hallelujah. You're not, come on, somebody. Jesus hanging on the cross. He's been abandoned. He's been abused. He's been lied about. He's been slandered. He's been spit on in the face. He's been hit. What did he do? Look at his response. He's hanging on the cross, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus hits this topic on the head in Matthew 16. He says, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sin, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sin. I wish I could preach that away. I wish that I could take that out and just remove that. But that is in there, and we need to walk in it. We have to be a group that forgives. It hurts. It's painful. It doesn't make any sense. But we got to do it. Maybe you're the one that needs to ask for forgiveness. Maybe you're the one who has slandered. Maybe you're the one who has abused. Maybe you're the one who has hurt. Maybe you need to go and ask someone for forgiveness. What this boils down to is don't allow your mind to be clogged up with the ideas and thoughts of judgments and criticisms. Because when we hold on to that, we're playing judge Come on. Oh, that's good. 
And so don't allow that. Be a people that lives free. Lives free. Jonah's not interested in that concept right now. Have you caught that? He's not locking my sermon today. He would have done walked out. God tries to engage Jonah in conversation. Here's what he says in verse 4. He says, but the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? I mean, come on, Jonah, for real. You remember that bed and breakfast you stayed in? (laughs) Called the Wells Inn? (laughs) You were breakfast, my brother. Right? Over 120,000, maybe as many as 1.5 million people have just repented, and you're angry, and you're bitter. Come on, Jonah, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate what's happened here. But Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. If you study that word east, you'll understand that anytime it's talking about east, uh, it's it's talking about judgment. What Jonah is doing is he's waiting. He goes out to the east side of the city. Very, very important because he's going to the east side of the city, climbs up on a mountaintop, and he's waiting to see God's judgment upon Nineveh. He's still believing God is going to strike them dead. Okay? And so Jonah's playing the quiet game. He's taking his ball, and he's going home. That's what he's doing. Jonah is a man-child. I want you to point out the man-child in your life. No, I'm just joking. Don't do that. (laughs) But this is Jonah. He's playing the quiet game with God. Here's what Jonah does. He goes out east of the city. It says there he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade. He waited to see what happened to the city. Real quick description here. Jonah is not getting the answer from God that he likes. Ever been there? So he leaves the city. He walks out to the edge of the city. He hikes up on the mountain. He grabs his lawn chair. He pulls his sandals off. It's really hot there in the Mesopotamian area. So he builds a cabana. He puts his feet in the sand. He grabs a sweet tea, puts on a little Jimmy Buffett, and he waits. Okay? And he waits. And he's waiting for the judgment of God. He's waiting for Nineveh to be destroyed. Then verse 6. This is the most random, odd piece of scripture I've read in a long, long time. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow over Jonah to give shade for the head to ease his discomfort. God cares about your bald head. That's what he says. God cares about the little things in our life. He cares about the small stuff. Jonah's hot. God provides a vine to give him cool to keep him cool, to protect his bald head from getting burned. And then look at Jonah's response. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. Isn't this crazy? I know it's probably a little bit different up there. And Jonah was very happy about the plant, right? Jonah's very happy. Oh, sweet. Thank you. It's an elephant here. Love it. It's awesome. Just just random. Jonah's very happy. But at dawn the next day, God provided something else. If you watch Veggie Tales, his name was Khalil. It was a worm. You didn't know they named worms back in the Bible days, did you? He provided a worm. God's into providing some really random, weird things right now, isn't he? He provided the worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun arose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Here's the picture. God loves Jonah. Jonah, I know you're hot. I know you're discontent. I'm going to give you a big vine. The next morning, I'm going to get a grub to kill the vine. 
And then Jonah's out there, and he's grappling a little bit. And God says, you know what? I'm going to send a scorching east wind. It's hot. It is hot. That scorching east wind. The sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Jonah <laughs> nearly passed out. He can't handle it anymore. He looked at, look at the depth of his emotions. He says again, I want to die. I want to die. It's better for me to die than to live. Jonah is not content with his life right now. He's not excited about where he's at in life. I just got a question. Are we content? Are we content with where we're at in life right now? Are we content with our marriage, where it's at? Are we content with, with, our, with our kids, our family? Or are we content with where they're at? A lot of people aren't happy with their career. A lot of people aren't happy with the decisions they've made. A lot of people aren't happy about the job that they've done parenting. A lot of people are unhappy about those things. A lot of people literally are wrestling right now with where they are in their place in life. Where, where, where am I when it comes to my calling? Where am I when it comes to what got my purpose here? Are we, are we content? That's where Jonah's at. He's not very happy about it at all. When I was in elementary school, I read a book, the only book I ever read. I'm just joking. I read two. And it was called, shout at me if you've heard this, Alexander and the Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Anyone ever heard of that? I know the teachers are raising their hands. Ms. Deborah, she's like, yeah. Anyone else ever heard of that? Yeah, Alexander and the Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Jonah's having a horrible, no good, very bad day, isn't he? That's what I did in my college thesis on that book. But here's what we got to understand is that God is the God of the horrible, no good, very bad days. He's still God in those days. He's still God. You see the word provided here. God provided, God provided, but God provided. That word is not manna, it's manna, manna, okay? Manna, remember manna back in the wilderness, manna, what is it, right? You ever, never mind. I ain't going to ask that question. You ever, <laughs> never mind. But here we have, <laughs> you ever said, never, never mind. Um, mena, mena, the word, the word provided is mena, and it means appointed. So the, word, the Lord appointed. What this verse is saying is that God loves Jonah so much. He cares about him so much. He knows when Jonah was born. He knows when he's going to die. God knew exactly what he needed to bring into Jonah's life. And sometimes God would appoint a vine to protect him. And sometimes God would appoint a grub to destroy that vine. And sometimes God would appoint a storm into Jonah's life. And sometimes God would appoint a fish. And come on, somebody. God would appoint, God would send the worm, he would send the scorched wind, he would send the ship, he would send the sailors, he would appoint these things into Jonah's life. But how we know that's not the, like that, that, that's, that's, not, that's not attractive right now, is it? That, that, that's, not, that's not the attractive God that we want to talk about. We want to serve the God of the vine, right? He's the God of the vine, the God that, 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 that you know, makes $100 bills rain from heaven. Right? How many of you have ever been in that shower storm? Right? <laughs> we want to serve that God. The God that sends checks in the mail anonymously. The God of the vine. But the reality is God is so much bigger than just the God of the vine. 
and his character and in his fullness of who he is. He loves you enough to send a vine. He loves you enough to send a fish. He loves you enough to send a storm. He loves you enough to send a grub worm. Come on. He loves you enough. I look at my life, and I see how God has provided in my life over and over and over again. God gave me two amazing parents. Two amazing parents that has exemplified how a legit Christian should live their life. They exemplified a godly marriage and what that looked like. They exemplify that. God sent me a beautiful wife, Jenny, better than I ever deserve. Everybody said, amen. Why y'all... Some of y'all said that a little too enthusiastically. <laughs> but he sent me an awesome wife. He sent me four amazing kids that are crazy sometimes, but they're awesome. And then you know what? When I was 25 years old, just a couple of months after my mom passed away, God provided me the opportunity to get looked over for a lead pastor's position in West Virginia, Elkins, West Virginia. Whoever said that, God bless you, at least one person. He provided me that opportunity, a job that I, this is it, this is right. It was two months after my mom had passed away. Jenny was like, we're not ready to make big life-changing decisions right now. You're still grieving your mom. You just want to get away from that. I'm like, no, we're going, we're ready. They talked to us, everything was good, and then all of a sudden that, that, that is gone. I'm like, what happened here? And there's been other opportunities like that. Two weeks before we came, two weeks before I met Pastor White, I went and I spoke with another church on the east side of Oklahoma where the wind blows a little bit calmer, right? <laughs> Just a hair, <laughs> right? And, and so we're talking and it may have been a little bit more than a couple of weeks. But things were, and, and they had all these resumes, and we're, we're down to the final two. You know, it's the final countdown, right? No, okay, never mind. I don't know, I don't know that song either. <laughs> and so, this is it. This is God's leading. It's, it's, it's perfect for us. It's beautiful. We have a house on Sky Took Lake. Woo, yes! Right? I mean, you've ever been to Skytook Lake? It's like Aruba, right? Close. Um, and then all of a sudden, we get a call, and they say, we don't know what it is. You were number one, but we just feel like this is to go to this other guy. You're, you're, you're number one, but we've just been praying. We just feel like the, the, this, this. And I'm like, what? No. Are you, you I've already bought my snorkel gear, man. God gave me the opportunity to be looked over for another position. And then a few weeks later, I meet Pastor Orville. Come on, somebody. And I know what some of y'all are thinking. God, why in the world didn't it work out in Sky Tuck? Right? <laughs> uh, the three of you at least, I know. <laughs> But, do you understand what I'm saying? God sent, and there was great disappointment in our life at that time. Great, and we're like, no, this is, this, is, this is it, this is it, great. And then God just begins to unravel his plan. 
And now here I am on July the 2nd, 2017. And I'm telling you, and I can declare to you that God will send a vine. He'll protect you. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. He'll direct you. But God will send a grub, and God will send a fish, and God will send a storm. And God will, he wants you in his perfect plan, and he will make sure that he has you in his perfect plan. Why? Because when you get in his perfect plan, life is good. Amen? Jonah is just, let's go back to Jonah. Let's get away from Jared and go to Jonah. <laughs> Jonah's just a mess right now. I'm wrapping up here. He's not interested in any provision. He's not inter- God's trying to engage him. Jonah's not having it. God says to him, Jonah, do you have any right to be angry about this vine? Look at Jonah's response. I'm angry enough to die. Jonah is suicidal over a stupid plant. <laughs> this is ridiculous. He's not even from, never mind. Let's cut through the chase here for just a second. Here's here's the reality of this whole Jonah, chapter 4. Here's it in a nutshell. Life is about Jonah. Life is about his comfort. Life is about his anger. Life is about his unforgiveness. Life is about God taking his vine. In chapter 4, it's all about Jonah. Jonah's lying in the fetal position because he just lost his poor plant. Poor guy. And he's buckled over, and here's what God says in verse 10 and 11. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, but you didn't tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about the great city? Right there, it proves God is a beef eater. He loves beef. (laughs) Amen. Amen. (laughs) He points out the cattle for sure. Right? Jonah, here's what he's saying. Jonah, life is not just about you. Life is about Nineveh. Jared, what is Nineveh? Nineveh is when you walk out your front door. Nineveh is when you walk eyes with someone in the grocery store. Dollar General, the post office. Nineveh, that's Nineveh. We live in a world today where marriages are falling apart. We live in a world today where kids don't have fathers. We live in a world today where the homeless don't have food. They don't have shelter. We live in a world today where people are hurting. We live in Nineveh. There are people who are hurting all around us. We're in Nineveh. And guess what, Elm Grove? Life is about Nineveh. It's about Nineveh. That's why we take the buses out every Wednesday night and we load up as many kids as we can. That's why we bring as many teenagers as we can to the rock. That's why we go and we hit the schools and we hit, we, 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 we hit every organization we can in town. That's why we get out. When we get out today, we invite people to come tonight to, to eat a burger and watch some fireworks. Why? Because we want to develop a relationship with them. Why? Because we serve a God who wants to touch their life. Why? Because life is not about my comfort. Life is not about me, just me, just me and mine. And, and, you know, and what, what I want, but life is about Nineveh. It's about the laws. It's about getting people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about taking as many people. It's about busting those kids, getting them on the bus, and taking them all the way, not to Elm Grove, but taking them all the way to heaven with us. Amen? Life is about Nineveh.
Are you committed to Nineveh? Are you committed to Nineveh? We want God to continue to pour his blessings on Elm Grove. We got to say we're committed. God, we're committed to Nineveh. We're committed to every kid, until every kid's saved. We're committed to every teenager's saved, to every mom or dad knows Jesus, to every grandma, grandpa, aunt and uncle come in a relationship with you. God, we're committed to Nineveh. And we're not going to back off, and we're not going to sidetrack, but God, we're going to step it up. And this will be a house that is full. Why? Because life's not about me. It's about Nineveh. It's about Nineveh. I'm going to ask you if you would just to bow your head right there. God, I pray that you would touch someone's heart, touch someone's life. God, make a difference. Help us to make a difference in this moment. And God, I come to you, myself personally. And God, with me, I begin by asking forgiveness of my own selfishness. God, when I've tried to make life about me, about my comfort, about my happiness, God, help me to see there's more. There's more than just me. There's 120,000 people in Nineveh who don't know their right hand from their left. Now, there are people who are hurting, people who are looking for hope, people who are looking for purpose, people who are looking for joy. God, we serve a God that can bring that. We serve a God that can restore that. God, we serve a Lord who can wipe away every tear. So, Father, this morning I pray that we make that commitment that life is about Nineveh. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we know that God put us on this earth to change eternity. You have what you need inside of you to have that conversation or to have that relationship with someone that can change eternity in their life. That's why we're here. And if we want to boil it all down, we're here to change eternity. There's a young woman who when I was a kid, she would take me to the back of the church every time that I come to church. She would teach. It was just me. I was the only kid but she would spend every Sunday investing in me, teaching me from Genesis to Revelation, all that I could handle, investing in my life. Why? Because for her, she was changing my eternity. And each and every one of you, you have the ability to change someone's eternity because you have Christ living in you. For some of us, for me, it meant walking away from, from some destructive habits. For me, it meant walking away from an addiction. For me, it meant radically altering my life so that life is not about me. Life was about Nineveh. My question to you today is, do you want God to use you 
to change eternity for someone. As a Christ follower, do you want God to use you to help change eternity for someone? If that's you and you say, Pastor Jared, that's me. God, use me. I'll go to Nineveh. Slip your hand up right now. Praise the Lord. God, use me. God, use me. Father, this morning I ask, Lord, for every hand that was raised, God, that you would just pour your spirit out upon their life. God, they, 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 with their uplifted hand, they said, Lord, we're, we're ready. God, use us. Nineveh is right next door. Nineveh is right across the street. Nineveh might be on the job site. Nineveh might be right there inside their own home. God, they're saying, Lord, my life is open. God, use me. Use me to reach Nineveh. Use me to reach the lost. Use me to express your love. Use me, God. God, I will not play the part of Jonah. I won't sit back and say, God, thank you for everything you've done for me, but these other people, they don't deserve it. God, that's not our heart. Our heart is to rejoice with those who found grace. Rejoice with those who found mercy. And rejoice with those who have received your blessing. So God, help us in this moment to be used to reach Nineveh. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.